Since Tuesday, uh, as you're all aware, we've spent a lot of time talking about uh, our province's three-year pilot program to stop prosecuting people for carrying small amounts of heroin, uh, meth, ecstasy, crack, two and a half grams or less. We've had a significant conversation and debate on this show. We had former Mayor Kennedy Stewart uh, speak to us, Jennifer Whiteside, our our, president. present Minister of Mental Health and Addiction, uh, Vancouver Police Department's Deputy Chief Fiona Wilson uh, joined us as well. And they all broadly have been supportive of decriminalization. There's been a lot of questions, uh, concerns and opinions uh, offered by all of you listening out there to this issue. There is uh, uneasiness out there as well in regards to decriminalization. Is this the right way to go? Should we be headed in this direction? Are there other ways or other models to look at? Uh, The other day we had an open line call from a woman from North Vancouver named Denise. She lost her uh, brother uh, to fentanyl. She also uh, was an addict for many, many, many years until she uh, was able to um, you know, deal with her substance challenges and now she's leading a, leading a very productive life. She was on the show yesterday. She's working. Uh, she and her partner own a home. Uh, she is healthier. Uh, and we asked her about the issue of, of decriminalization. She was a guest on the show yesterday. Take a listen. As a former heroin addict, I can tell you, illicit drugs are not safe. People didn't just start overdosing seven years ago. People were overdosing constantly in the 80s and 90s. I can list off 30, 40 friends at the top of my head who all overdosed in the 80s and 90s on pure heroin. And I really wish people would talk about the state of mind people live in in addiction where they can't hold a relationship or a job or self-esteem or take care of themselves. So why are we just constantly feeding them drugs to keep them in that perpetual state of despair? So as you can tell uh, by uh, Denise's comments, she is not in favour of decriminalization. Well, yesterday we also had another gentleman join us on the show. His name is Andrew Tablotny. He's a Richmond resident uh, and he lost his son in December, just uh, well, just uh, December of 2022, so just, a, a, just over a month ago. Uh, his son was dealing with some psychiatric challenges and used drugs to cope uh, and uh, he had a lot of practical responses. He's not necessarily against decriminalization, but he says it can't stop there. There has to be other practical responses uh, and resources needed for families, including using pharma- pharmacists for drug treatment as well. Take a listen. Why aren't we looking at our pharmacists? To get your drugs tested, you have to go downtown to 888 East Hastings Street or mail them in and wait a week to get your results back. Well, why can't we have test strips in every pharmacy in the province? They could have a little sign that says, do you or any members of your family suffer from drug abuse, or sorry, addiction or mental illness? And then they could have brochures with, with accurate information so they, that people, they could hand to them and say, here, I don't know everything about it, but here's the people you need to call. Andrew had a, a lot of other examples that he had listed off as well. But once again, uh, just an everyday citizen dealing with the issues of mental health and addiction, and, and it's uh, had a huge impact on, on his family. Well, joining me now is BC Liberal leader Kevin Falcon, who just a few hours ago introduced his government's plan, which one would probably describe as more recovery-oriented in regards to mental health and addiction. The price tag would be $1.5 billion over three years. That includes $995 million for treatment and recovery options, $350 million for complex mental health support, $100 million for homelessness, and $525 million in capital spending. Mr. Falcon also said earlier today that his plan would roll out within the first 90 days of a B.C. Liberal government. He joins us now. Kevin, thank you for speaking to us today. 
Well, thanks very much, uh, Jazz, and uh, what a powerful opening there by, you know, with those comments by Denise and Andrew, and I just couldn't more wholeheartedly agree with both of them, quite frankly. I, I should tell you, I, as you know, I've spent a decade uh, while I was in the private sector on the board of the Street Home Foundation uh, volunteering on the issue of homelessness and those struggling with mental health and addictions. I've traveled out of the country. I've looked at other programs, therapeutic communities, Across North America, we had board members that were traveling to places like Italy to look at uh, San Patriano and some other places that have had some really promising results, Portugal, etc. And I'm just absolutely convinced, absolutely 100% convinced, that if we don't shift in a totally different direction from where we're going now, it's going to end very, very badly. And I think the results are all around us. How does your announcement today, how is it different from what we are doing today. We have treatment beds, to my understanding, about 3,200 NDPs say they've added, about 320 since 2017. Uh, how would this system today fix what needs to be fixed? Well, the first thing is, here's the, the, the big shifts that, that I'm talking about in terms of moving um, in a dramatically different direction. The first is recognizing that there are some folks out there that are struggling with severe mental health and addiction issues. And I've always said, you you know, I've said this two years, over two years ago in a opinion piece I wrote in the Vancouver Sun before I'd ever gotten back into politics, saying that we have to look at a modernized version of what we used to call Riverview and Essendale and Tranquille. Uh, we've got that a version of that now at the Riverview lands. It's called Redfish. Something started under the BC Liberals, and it deals very compassionately in an apartment-like setting with those that have severe mental health and addiction issues. But there's only 105 beds. We need to triple that. And as I said in the announcement today, we need to have regional centers like that in the north, in, in the Kootenays, in the, uh, in the uh, Thompson Okanagan, and on Vancouver Island, because we have to make sure that we treat those most vulnerable in our communities much more compassionately than we do today. We cannot leave people on the streets fending for themselves, unable to make, uh, at this point in their lives, proper decisions in their own best interest. That's where society has to play a role. Now, number two mm-hmm. is on the addiction side. Um, The focus of the current government, I think, is unfortunate. And the entire focus is totally about what they call safe supply. I I won't call it safe supply because, as physicians are constantly reminding me, there's nothing safe about highly addictive drugs. I call it publicly supplied addictive drugs. And the thing is, that may be part of the spectrum of, of, of care, for sure. I'm not saying it shouldn't be. But there needs to be the primary focus of government ought to be helping people get off of their addiction and get into treatment and recovery. And that's where I'm going to be focusing the, the dramatic uh, shift in direction. Because I can tell you, um, Denise, that you heard earlier there, I met with a, a whole group of, uh, of women this morning before my announcement. All of them, some of them just as, as recently as last year, were in intense cities living absolutely horrific lives. And today they're in recovery. They're doing well. They've got their children back, they're working, and they're just feeling so great about being productive members of society. Let's never lose sight of how important that is to the human spirit. Uh, are you skeptical of decriminalization? I mean, I think a lot of people are very empathetic. They want, obviously, help. But there are folks that remain skeptical about decriminalization. Where do you sit? It's all well and good to say I support it. But are you skeptical about it or at the very least uneasy about it? Well, a little bit uneasy if I'm totally honest. But, but you know, I've always been an evidence-driven person. So, you know, when I, uh, when I was Minister of Health back in 2009-10, you know, I was open to the Salome and Naomi trials that we did with heroin addicts, you know, trying to use 
substitutes uh, to see if that that could help. We got sued by the federal conservative government at the time, but I'm always willing to try things because I care about outcomes. The thing about decriminalization is effectively what the police will tell you is it's been effectively decriminalized anyhow. But unfortunately, what it does now is it doesn't even allow the police to seize uh, some of that stuff because sometimes, you know, taking it away and 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 uh, not in, you know ensuring that person. Uh, might not overdose by using that fentanyl or heroin or whatever the the particular drug of choice that they have in their hands at that moment could potentially save a life. In Oregon, as we know, um, when they decriminalize hard drugs, a year later they had a 39 over 39 percent increase in deaths. So I just think we have to very carefully watch and see what the outcomes are. And darn it, we better listen to what the outcomes are because what I'm concerned about is we every year we see the overdose deaths going up to a record level every year. And government just says, let's do more of the same and hope to get a different result. It's illogical. Yeah, I think it raised a good point there. You know, I had uh, Fiona Wilson on, the, de- the deputy chief of the Vancouver Police Department. And she was telling me, they had, I think last year, they had three recorded uh, arrests uh, in regards to uh, hard drugs, the two and a half grams or less. And I think they were averaging about five a year. So effectively, we've, de- we've been decriminalized a lot longer than people think we have, even though it is official as of Tuesday, um, number one. But even she was saying to me that, look, uh, she wasn't. Her members are at times were uneasy putting people away, putting them in jail, arresting them, knowing full well that's not where they should go. And I think police officers deep down know that. But having said that, I'm listening to you, and I think you make a good point. Is I had friends going down to Oregon not too long ago with their kids watching uh, the Portland Trailblazers basketball game, expecting to go there for two nights. They were back after one night because it is such a mess down there with homelessness issues, mental health, and addiction. That is, it is not some panacea even after decriminalization uh, in, in communities like Portland. My question to you is, is this your this program that you've introduced, is this a, I want to call it a ripoff, but very much um, inspired by what they've done in, in Alberta? Uh, yes, in part. I think that what they're doing in Alberta has had some pretty tremendously positive results. Um, not everything they do there I would subscribe to. Um, I think there's a spectrum of care that you have to provide. Uh, and harm reduction is part of that. I want to be clear about that, you know. But but again, we have to get back to the focus of our primary, overwhelming focus has to be trying to help people get off of their addiction. Look, this is a passion project for me. I, I should tell you, Jazz, you know, full disclosure, I've lost friends. Uh, family members have been impacted, like so many others out there, through mental health and addictions. And, uh, you know, if you read the book San Francisco, you look at what's happened to San Francisco. You look what's happened to Portland and Seattle. I am not, I'm, and I'm seeing Vancouver going right down that path. And damn it, I, I tell you, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that we're helping people get better. Just being alive is not necessarily better. As, as one of the uh, you know, addiction specialists told me today, just having a heartbeat's not enough. A productive life where you ha- feel like you have purpose and meaning is also really, really important. And I, I just think we can't lose sight of that. Well, I look forward to having further conversations with you on this issue. Thanks for your time today. Thanks so much for having me, Jess. Such an important subject. I appreciate you covering it.